0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 217 of the Fun with Cars Motorsport Miscellany. Second time round, we're doing it again. It's a brief rundown of the motorsports we care about. I'm Robin Warner. And this time round, it is mostly Formula One. However, we're going to touch on IMSA and actually finish up with a little bit about Baja Racing. And interestingly enough, that one is the most personal for me. Uh, that'll make sense in a few minutes' time. Uh, but I wanted to start with an article that came up as a result of the United States Grand Prix and Max Verstappen getting that uh, post race penalty. He was docked five seconds, lost his third place, lost the podium position, and he was in the cool down room about to head onto the podium when it all happened. Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth since then and one of the things that came up was uh certain people arguing uh maybe we should just have uh full-time race stewards and uh, an article came out that uh from Charlie Whiting uh rebuking that and saying uh he didn't really care what uh Haas F1 team principal Gunther Steiner thought uh he thinks that having uh full time stewards is a bad idea, and it actually will just open up a whole different slew of problems, and that he thinks that there's not going to be any real benefit in the result. you know there's that interest in consistency, but he just seems he just sees other problems going on. And Whiting said uh we are discussing this all the time in regards to ways to getting better." But we believe that the appointment of four permanent stewards for the whole year will only lead to many new questions. I do not want to go into details, but at the moment, we consider our direction to be more reasonable. So basically, uh, Charlie Whiting saying, yeah, it's not going to happen. And uh, I have to say intuitively, I have a little bit of a hard time with this because you would think that full-time employees would be better would be more consistent over time would come on a consensus. But I think there's a threat of favoritism that uh, can lead that can be caused if you have the same four people all the time. And if you think about what happened with Max Verstappen, you know, he kind of thought that there was uh well, anti-favoritism that he just was disliked by one of the stewards. So I can see in a general sense I think Charlie Whiting's correct to just, you know, let it let it go and give it a couple give it a couple months and no one will think about it until some other controversy happens, of course. Um uh more Formula One news. It is official. Felipe Massa is going to retire from Formula One again. And he wanted to know by the Brazilian Grand Prix the Brazilian Grand Prix is just in, in just a couple of days. What day is it today? It is Thursday, November 9th and the Grand Prix Friday practice starts tomorrow. And, uh, you know, Felipe Massa wants to have a send off in Brazil, make that kind of his, even though he will race in Abu Dhabi, kind of like his emotional end to his formula one career. He did, he did it last year. I remember it was about midway through the race his Williams failed, um, and uh, or it was wet conditions, and he spun. Either way, he didn't finish the race, and he ended up doing this kind of like weird jog run through the fans and then to all the teams and kind of had like this really nice kind of impromptu ceremony to say goodbye to everyone he knew and to the sport itself and all his fans. But then... You know, Rosberg retired, Botas moved to Mercedes, and here he was back in the car. What's weird about it this time around is that uh, Massa was basically saying, all right, well, I want to be in the car in 2018 too. And Williams was like, hold on, that's not what we're interested in. And it turns out that Massa was going to be one of the people they considered, but certainly not the only one. Uh, You know, Chris, Chris Roche and I talked about our interest in uh, Kubica coming back into the sport and, uh, you know, I think more than uh, Roche uh, thinks that uh, Paul Dressa would also be uh, worthy um, worthy the entrance, uh, where the circumstances work out. But uh, Massa held on, but it, apparently it is not to be. And I think this time around it's going to stick. You know, Massa even said at one point is like, you know, they asked me to come back and uh, I said I would. And, uh, that, you know, if they ask again, I'm going to say no. So, uh, you know, I can understand where he's coming from. He's had a long career. He has had a career of pretty significant ups and downs. You know, he will go down in history to having one of the closest, uh, formula one championship battles, uh, go down to the wire and, he was on the losing end of that. That was uh, 2008 and Lewis Hamilton's first Formula One championship win. Felipe Massa had it. He had the championship until Lewis Hamilton managed to get by Timo Glock on the last few corners of the last lap to get just enough points to win the championship. Kind of an incredible situation. And, so, and then Massa, of course, had that uh, head injury, which... You know, loyal listeners will know that I have a a pretty personal um, uh, sympathy for. So, anyway, Massa is out of the sport again, and I do believe that uh, this time it is going to be permanent. I'm sure he's going to be around. I'm sure he's going to be some sort of Williams ambassador, and I'm sure that we'll see him, especially in Brazil, and he'll be a dignitary of sorts or something. Um, But I think overall, Maybe his career maybe held on a little bit longer than he should have, but generally speaking he can be proud of his career and uh you know, enjoy his retirement and move on to something new, a new chapter in his life. Okay. This one is it's more Formula One and this one's interesting to me. Uh this is what it's about the FIA trying to grapple with what to do. To more appropriately have uh, Formula One cars stay within the boundaries of the track, and it's interesting because you know I kind of had this idea. Chris and I have discussed it in the past when cutting corners has come up and going wide has cut up, caught, um, come up, and it's like, look, just put a patch of grass or gravel at the track's edge, and this will be done no worries we're, you know all set and there's apparently been some talk about that officially and uh there's real concern uh, not to do that because because it would cause um other forms of motorsport real trouble and it's a safety issue and things like that and they brought up things like MotoGP and uh other forms of motorsport saying that you know the the asphalt is a safety issue as much as anything and then it, in addition to that, um, I think it was Fernando Alonso who agreed with Charlie Whiting, who thought it was a bad idea to put a patch of grass or gravel right after, the, right at the track's edge. He said, "You know, with the other, um, the other motorsport running before Formula One, they would kick up grass and gravel onto the track before the start of Grand Prix, which would either require a." Significant cleanup, which would take time, or it would uh, hamper the Formula 1 race. And I'll be honest with you, I, to me that sounds like whining. I, I'm i not saying replace all the asphalt uh, runoff with gravel and have us go back to where we were 20 years ago. But what I'm saying is if you have a meter-wide patch of grass or gravel or two meters wide or whatever, just a strip that is a significantly lower mu than, uh, the pavement itself, then that would be plenty. And then it can go right back to asphalt runoff again. And I have a hard time seeing how that would be an issue. And if it is a real issue and there's issues of cleanup and other safety concerns like that, there's a lot of options. Um, you know when i was an engineer doing slip control stuff we ran on all kinds of different services that that were all paved um one is called uh, genite and it's a it's a special service it's very similar to um pavement but it has a lot lower uh friction coefficient so you know roughly speaking half friction half of the friction coefficient of your typical asphalt just put a you know two meter wide patch of genite right at the track's edge. That would be enough for the car to lose grip, but then not have any grass or gravel to kick up. So there, it is a simple it is a simple thing. And uh, I have a really hard time with people saying, "Oh no, we can't do this because it's not safe or it's not simple." To me, there's pretty simple ideas. But uh, yeah, this is again the FIA, FIA saying that. They don't want to change the asphalt runoff. They just want to keep having these wonky rules, and I, <laughs> that one I have a hard time with. Um, okay, moving on from Formula One, uh, we're going to bring up IMSA again. Uh, I do believe we, I discussed before uh, that Fernando Alonso is going to compete in the uh, 24 Hours of Daytona. He's going to do that in a Liger, which is going to be an LMP, a Le Prototype 2 car, and um, his team was announced recently, and his team's going to be European Formula 3 champion uh, Lando Norris and, uh, you know, ex-Formula 1 driver, current DTM driver, Paul DiResta. Uh He's come up in the past. So anyway, yeah, that's going to be the team uh, that Fernando Alonso's with at the 24 Hours of Daytona. And the reason why this news came up is that... Uh, Paul Resta and Lando Norris got their first taste of the car um, at a two-day test um, at Circuit Paul Ricard in, in southern France um, for a couple of days to get the feel of the car. It was Tuesday and Wednesday of last week, I believe. And uh, so it'll be really interesting to see, you know, this com- this purely European driver lineup. Uh, two of the three with Formula One experience. Trying their hand at the 24 hours of Daytona. I'm definitely curious to see how Alonso fares, how Paul Resta fares, and more importantly, almost what uh, he thinks of that kind of racing sports car racing, prototype racing. So it's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, so Alonso's team with United Auto sports is fixed. It's going to be Lando Norris, Paul DeResta, and Alonso himself. It's going to be interesting. Okay, so. Moving on, moving away from, uh, cars altogether, uh, where I wanted to talk about off-road racing just a little bit. Um, November 14th to the 18th is going to be the 50th running of the Baja 1000, which is this mega off-road race in Baja, Mexico on the, uh, Western edge. It's this big peninsula that runs down Mexico, um, And the reason why this one's kind of close to me is I, uh, a few months ago, actually was part of this media event where I was in the passenger seat with uh, Baja champ uh, Rob McCachron, where he was pre-running at the time the Baja 500, but the Baja 1000, similar area and very similar setup. This year's Baja 1000 is going to be point to point meaning it's not a loop they're going to start at the top of the peninsula and at the bottom it's going to be like 12 or 1300 miles so it's going to be an epic race and uh it's it's just incredible to see what these machines go through you know being in the passenger seat of his pre-running buggy it was just incredible how bad the roads were and to call them roads is absolutely laughable but um i what i did was i put a link up to i have links to a story for every one of the uh topics i bring up and for this one um this is actually a story i wrote myself um this past summer that kind of goes over what it was like to spend a couple of days with rob McCachran. and uh if if you didn't check it out and you have any interest and what these trophy trucks and off-road racing is like at all, I highly recommend checking it out. And um, related to that, similar topic, also off-road racing, Uh, there's a new movie out called Dust to Glory, and this is a sequel of the original Dust to Glory. This one is not uh, the the word to, but the numeral to, to promote that it's a sequel. So, Dust, the numeral to glory and I didn't personally see it myself but uh, we had a we had one of our contributors go to a special pre-screening check the movie out he highly recommended it and uh, he, he wrote a really nice story giving a summary of what the movie's about and why it was made again and also in that link to his article there's a link to the trailer for the movie, and it really looks just spectacularly done. Dana Brown um, uh, was the director of the first. He did it again. He, it looks like he just really put just some real beautiful um, art behind this crazy, crazy racing that is off-road desert racing. So, yeah, that that's kind of as far away as you can get uh, from... Formula One and still be talking about automotive racing, but there it is. And uh, you know, fiftieth running, biggest race of the year. I do recommend that you check it out. So, yeah, that's what we got. So, anyway, thank you for listening. Please do take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get your podcasts. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at FW Cars and check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com/FW Cars. And to that point, I want to quickly uh, thank Paul Peard for writing uh, to me at feedback at, uh, at com. I'm going to share what Paul Peard had to say with the group uh, when uh, Chris Roche and I uh, uh, get together again to chat about the Brazilian Grand Prix. So you can look for that. Uh, coming soon. Anyway, I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.